0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. Like Bevan said, my name's Elliot. And uh, this Sunday and next, we are going to be looking ahead to Christmas. And um, my wife and I had a discussion back before Thanksgiving about the appropriate time of year to put up um, Christmas decorations because in our neighborhood, it seems like there's always a rush to put up Halloween decorations, and so I was like, I want to be the first to put up the Christmas decorations, so we had a discussion about when the appropriate time was, and she showed me a uh, post that she had seen online, and I thought it was pretty funny, so I'd share it with you, because the big thing is, well, you don't want to forget Thanksgiving, and uh, as this person points out, nobody's skipping Thanksgiving, it's just we're celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving, taking a break for a day, and then we're going to continue to celebrate, so I'm sure that this is true of some of you, some of you started maybe even in October. I don't know. Anybody start in October? Any? Okay, we got a couple. Okay, good. Um, so we know Christmas is a big deal. For Christmas, millions of people are going to take off work. Airports are going to be full of travelers. It's estimated that almost a trillion dollars is going to be spent on holiday shopping. Just let that number sink in, a trillion dollars. And it brings up the question, and the question is why? Why the time off work? Why the travel? Why do we have holiday office parties? Why do we get together with neighbors? Why do we give out gifts at Christmas? Why do we spend all the money both on ourselves and then the people that we care about? And the answer is obvious. Christmas is a celebration. And this is actually what the shepherds or the angel said to the shepherds that it would be. Luke chapter two. The angel says this I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. He's saying, I'm going to tell you about something that's going to result in a huge celebration. Great joy for all people. And while our culture has not lost the celebration part of the holiday, we are increasingly forgetting why it is that we celebrate. What is the reason this angel gives for the great joy? Why this massive record-spending, time-off-work, travel celebration that we have? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, a prophecy from 700 years earlier, and Matthew writes this He says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. In the Hebrew culture, they would give names to children that described the child. And so when they chose the name Jesus and refer to him as Emmanuel, the description that they're giving Jesus is God with us. And that's the good news. That's what the angel's referring to when he says, I'm going to tell you about something that's going to be the cause of great joy. This is the reason for the celebration, God with us. But this is the reason for the celebration that we oftentimes forget. And I think one of the reasons that we forget this reason for the celebration, this God with us reality that causes great joy, I think one of the reasons that we forget it is because we, we, we wonder, is it true? Is this real? Is God really with us? And when I say we wonder if it's true, I'm not necessarily talking about the historical facts behind a baby named Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Because even the most committed atheists, once they explore the facts, will say, okay, I'll concede that part of the story. But what we struggle with and what we wonder is, as I go through my normal life, is God really with me? Is he really with us? Or is this just one of those nice things where once a year we all get together and throw this party and talk about something that, you know, it sounds good, but in our day-to-day experience... It's not really real, because let's face it, I mean, as we go through life, most of the time, we, we feel like we're going through it alone. You wake up in the morning and you've got this list of problems that you've got to solve and challenges that you've got to overcome, and you're sitting there in the morning thinking, okay, I've got to prioritize my day because I've got all these things that I have to do. And the normal experience is, I've got to do these on my own. It's up to me, I'm alone trying to figure out these things. And we, we struggle with, okay, well, what's my purpose in life? And so we spend all kinds of time trying to discover, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What's the unique thing for me? Or we wrestle with questions of identity, and we ask the question, who was I created to be? Who, who is the true me? And we feel like, well, it's up to us to figure that out. I'm alone in solving that problem. So as we just kind of go through our normal experience, it's one of anxiety or depression or carrying guilt, and we feel like we've got to shoulder that burden by ourselves. So we hear this, this is good news, great joy for all people. It's going to cause this massive celebration. Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we think, well, that's nice. But is that true? Because when I think about my experience, it usually feels like it's up to me. It's not always God's with us. So what we're going to do today and then next week is we're going to explore this idea, this thing that the angel said should cause this massive celebration. And our goal in exploring Emmanuel, God with us, is to remember why we celebrate, because this really is a reason for great joy, but it's often the reason that we forget. So this week, we're going to kind of lay the foundation, then next Sunday, we're going to get into some of the more, the more practical daily experiences and how God is with us. In those experiences. But our goal, again, is to remember the reason for the celebration. So we're going to start, and this is the first point we're going to look at, God with us to prove his love. He's given the name Emmanuel, God with us to prove his love. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew the Apostle, he wrote this very first verse in the New Testament. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, why does Matthew start his gospel and refer to Jesus as the Messiah? Messiah is not a term that we, we often use. But the Greek word used here is actually a word that we're familiar with. It's the word Christos. It's where we get Jesus Christ. Now, we're familiar with Jesus being referred to as Jesus Christ, and because we're familiar with it, we often think Jesus is his first name, Christ is his last name. But Christ is actually a title, that's given to him. The title of Messiah or Christ, Christos in the Greek, means anointed one, someone who has been chosen and assigned a specific commission. They've been given and sent to carry out a specific task. And so while we hear Jesus Christ, and it oftentimes it just goes right over our heads, we hear his name and then the title associated with him just goes over our heads because we've heard it so often, When when Matthew's first century Jewish audience, and that's who he's writing to, he's writing to first century Jews, when they hear Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, what they hear is they hear a reference to thousands of years of promises that God had given. So they hear this, and, and immediately in their brains, they're starting to connect dots with these stories that they've been told through history, these promises that God had made. And the the promises go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve. Right after God created the world, it's a perfect world, it's a good world, exactly how God wanted it to be, the world that we all imagine could be. God created even more than that at the very beginning. Satan enters into the story. Satan introduces a lie to Adam and Eve. The lie is essentially God doesn't love you, and he doesn't know what's best for you. So Adam and Eve, they hear that lie, and they decide to believe it and then act on it and as a result of their decision to believe the lie and act on the lie, they enter the world into chaos, the brokenness that we know, and they, the impacts of their decision are experienced and felt by every one of us all the way to this day. But instead of God seeing his perfect world broken by their decision to believe this lie, instead of you know, just saying, well, that messed up, I'll just go start again somewhere else, God actually makes a promise all the way back at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is what he says. He's speaking to Satan, and this is what he says. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, you read it, and it kind of sounds cryptic. I mean, as you just kind of move through the story, it's like, I don't, I don't really know what he's talking about. But what he's saying is, what the promise he's making is that one day a man born of a woman, offspring of a woman, will defeat Satan. And it's gonna look like Satan won. Satan's gonna strike his heel. But he says, this individual is gonna strike Satan's head. The final blow, the death blow, is actually gonna be to Satan. Satan is gonna be crushed and he's gonna be defeated. A promise at the very beginning, right after the world got messed up, that God eventually is gonna make things right. Then you skip ahead, let's say to the story of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And you read this promise that he makes in other places. He makes this promise several times to Abraham. And what God is talking about is he's talking about this Messiah individual who's gonna come, this person born of a woman, the promise that was given at the very beginning, born of a woman who eventually would defeat Satan. He gives more clarity of the promise. He says, this individual is gonna come from the Jewish nation. Then you continue in the story. Let's look at the story of David. David is the first and greatest king in Israel's history. In Psalm 132, there's a record of a promise that's made and it's recorded in other places as well. It says, the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. As you, as you read through the promises and you read through the story of the Bible, a reference to David's throne. David, again, he's the first king and the greatest king. He's a man who's referred to as a man after God's own heart. The throne of David is a reference to where the individual who's going to rule God's people sits. So this is, this is a prophecy, a promise, that eventually one day somebody from this line of kings is going to be the one who leads God's people. So the promises are just getting more and more specific. We know it's going to be an individual born of a woman, eventually going to defeat Satan. It's going to come from the family, the, the heritage of Abraham, the Jewish people. It's going to be born from the line of David. The promises just get more and more specific over time. Then you have the prophets. The prophets the prophets, anywhere from 400 to 700 years before Jesus is born, guys like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah. You could read all their stories. They have all different promises buried in those books, promises about this Messiah figure. So when Matthew's first century Jewish audience hears this reference to Jesus the Messiah, their brain starts turning, and they're like, he's the one that's fulfilling all of these promises that have been given to us. It brings up something interesting, though. God had given promises for thousands of years, but does a promise prove that you love someone? No. I mean, we all know this. Promises are just words. This is what politicians are famous for, is they make promises, but, I mean, we know that they're just, they're just saying stuff. They're saying stuff to make us happy or to get us hopeful about something, but just making a promise doesn't mean that you love. Love is proved when you follow up the promise and you're faithful to do what you said you were going to do. That's when you prove your love. This last week, my, uh, our third child, Ivy, had, um, she was a part of a gymnastics class this fall, and um, she had her last class a week ago. And she had been asking me to come to her class. It's been on Thursday mornings through the fall, and so I wasn't able to go because I'm tied up with work stuff. But she would, she would come out of class, and she would ask my wife, Allie, she would say, hey, when's Daddy gonna come to my class? And I would get home at night, and she would start telling me about gymnastics. She'd be like, Daddy, when are you gonna come to my class? When are you gonna come to my class? So I, I promised her, I said, Ivy, before it's done, I'm gonna come to one of your classes. She got all excited, she started telling me, you're gonna see me do somersaults and here's how they teach you to do the somersault and these are the songs that they play when we do the balance beam and she starts telling me about all the stuff that I'm gonna see when I show up. She got really excited and she appreciated the promise. You know what proved to Ivy that I love her? When I showed up, when I made the promise and then I followed through with action, that's what proved the love. Christmas is a celebration Because on Christmas, God showed up in person. Thousands of years of promises, and the baby in the manger was proof that God, in fact, loved us. Took it from just words to action. In-person action. Christmas is a celebration because God showed up. He proved his love. This brings us to the second point. So God with us to prove his love, and God with us to save from sin. Again, I want to read Matthew chapter 1. The angel is speaking to Joseph, and this is what the angel says. Matthew 1.22, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And what, what this brings up is this brings up the offensive part of the Christmas story. The word sin is increasingly offensive, especially if you apply it to an individual. If you, if you say, like, as an individual, we have sin in our lives, that's increasingly offensive. And, and then if you say that you need to be saved, well, then it's like, what do you mean I need to be saved? I mean, if somebody just walks up to you and says, you need to be saved, your pride's going to start to well up. It's, it's a knock to my pride to insinuate that I need somebody to save me, that I'm not smart enough or good enough on my own to figure things out. A few years ago, I, I participated in the pier swim. You know, in, in June every year, you pay money, you get to go and swim around the end of the pier. And a couple friends talked me into it. And what they said was, they said, hey, you surf, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I mean, paddling on a surfboard and swimming, almost the exact same thing. You're going to be good. You know, We're just going to go <laughs> swim the pier. Well, I wasn't fine, okay? I don't know if you've ever done it. It was, it was terrible. So I get in, and I start swimming. Actually, I should have known right away. When everybody else had, like, the swim caps and goggles, and I just, like, walked up in board shorts, it was, like, <laughs> way out of my league. So we start swimming, and, you know, I'm pushing, and I'm feeling it, and, um, you know, about, about halfway, you start to get around the edge of the pier, and the, then the current kicks in, and you're swimming against the current, so you just don't feel like you're moving at all. And, um, I, I mean, I was, I was gassed, and this little teenage lifeguard on a rescue board paddles up to me and says, sir, do you need any help? I bet everybody on the pier, because if you've ever done it, or have you ever seen it, you know, the pier's packed, there's people all around the pier, they're, you know, they're cheering for you, shouting things, and even this lifeguard, everybody's like, that guy's going under, he's going to drown, that's what everybody's thinking. My body was even saying, Elliot, you are, you're struggling right now. You're not going to make it. But you know what I said in response? No, I don't need to be saved. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to figure it out. In a similar way, we approach stuff in life. We do a very similar thing. I mean, sin has put us in a terrible situation. Not only do we live under the shadow of the most obvious impact of sin, which is death and eternal separation from God, but we also, we, as we move through life, the Bible teaches that we live under the power of sin. The Bible explains that the, the primary reason why we do what we do, kind of the core underlying reason for our behavior, the Bible points to sin is the reason why we do what we do. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've thought about this, but have you ever wondered why when we, wrong, when we are wronged by somebody, we respond by wronging the other person. I mean, I didn't have to teach my kids this, but I've seen it in all of my kids so far, except for Alden. Alden's five months old, so he gets a pass. But all the other kids, I've seen this in them. They're, they're sitting there, they're playing with a toy, they're having fun, and then one of, the, one of the other siblings just walks in and for no reason just rips the toy away. Well, what does the first child do? We all know. They, they stand up and they figure out a way to get even. And usually it results in tears. Both kids crying because child one responded to the action of child two and hit them or took the toy back and hit them with the toy. I mean, you can go on and on down the different things that they do, but they respond to being wronged by wronging the person that wronged them. They respond to sin by sinning. And as adults, we do the same thing. We know the routine. You judge me, you say something critical to me, you condemn me in some way. And on the inside, I immediately, I start thinking of, how am I going to get even? How am I going to get you back? I'm, you judge me, I'm going to judge you back. You're, you embarrass me, you, you hurt me, you make me look stupid or feel dumb or feel less than, feel less valuable. And I start, I start imagining w- what I can do to, to return the favor, to make you feel the same way that you made me feel. I mean, we, we know the routine. We respond to being wronged, by wronging. We respond to sin by sinning against the other person. And one of the things we're doing in our society is we're working really hard to justify this behavior that we're all familiar with, to kind of giving all different reasons why we behave this way and saying, well, it's not really sin, it's all these other reasons. I was listening to a news report that was trying to make sense of the recent spike in violence that has come about over about the last year and a half. And examples they were giving were issues with kids in schools, there's different stuff in family life that they referred to, passengers on airplanes. I mean, they got into all these different examples of this kind of this, this increase in outbursts of anger. And in this story, where they're kind of make sense of it and they're talking to different experts, they they gave a lot of different reasons why people, why we're seeing this spike recently. And, you know, the most obvious one, they refer to the pandemic. And, you know, whatever side people fall on, whether it's politics or their view on different things, they refer to the pandemic as the pandemics put pressure on our lives, these external things. Or in some of the scenarios, they refer to people's upbringing, their childhood, as that's a reason why they were doing what they were doing. Or or bullying, you know, we've seen an increase with, whether it's social media or even in person in school, different, different forms of bullying that people are experiencing. Even they pointed to examples that we see. You know, when we look at the, the shows that we watch, the movies that we watch, oftentimes people respond in anger. And so we see this as an example, and well, maybe that's how I should respond. So they list all these kind of external things, and a lot of those make a lot of sense. But you know the one thing they didn't mention in the story? sin. They never said, well, behind all of this stuff, which are factors, your upbringing is a factor. There are things about your personality, which that is a factor. Some people are more hot-blooded than other people. I mean, there's all different reasons, but behind all of that, the Bible says, is sin. And we're doing a really good job in our society of just kind of this behavior that we all know, we just excuse it away. It's not really sin. It's just a personality trait. It's not really sin. It's just a response to a negative stimuli. Remove the negative stimuli and you're not gonna get that response. But behind all of that, we have this tendency because we're under the power of sin to respond to being sinned against by sinning against the other person. But it actually gets crazier than that. Because have you ever wondered, and have you ever noticed that not only do we respond to being wronged against by wronging the other person, but we have this tendency to even respond to blessings by sinning against other people. This tendency to respond to blessing with sin, I mean, think about it in high school. Smart kids, kids who are blessed with intelligence, make fun of the kids who aren't as smart. The athletic kids, the ones who are blessed with physical ability, bully those who aren't as coordinated. Those with resources, born into a family, they have have no bearing or no, no impact on the family that they were born into, but those who are born with resources, oftentimes mistreat the ones who don't have. Those who get to belong and have a sense of being a part of a group and the in crowd and a sense of a home and a community, oftentimes they highlight the kids who don't have that. These blessings that we receive in life, these good things, because we're under the power of sin, we have this ability, this tendency to turn those really good things into reasons to then wrong other people. And you sit and you think about it, it is crazy the power that sin has over us. Not only do we respond to being sinned against by sinning against the other person, but because of the power of sin, we also respond to blessings, good things, by turning and wronging, sinning against other people. This is why Jesus came. This is why God with us is such good news because none of us are smart enough or good enough to break free from this power that sin has over us we can't do it we can try all we want we can swim against the current fight all we want but it's a losing battle jesus is the only one that can break us free from that power and even if we can even if we can pretend like well sin doesn't have any power over me i mean you know, I've, I've got it figured out. I'm going to suppress the guilt on the inside. I'm going I'm to numb the shame that I have. I'm, you know, I'm going to put on a good face. I'm a moral person. I'm, I'm going to put on a good act so everybody thinks, I've got it figured out. I don't actually need to be saved, even if we can fake it. There's still the reality that death is looming over all of us, physical death and then ultimately eternal separation from God. Nobody's figured out how to solve that. That is why Christmas is good news. Because Jesus came, God with us, to save us from sin. The baby in the manger who grew up to be a man, who went to the cross, for thousands of years there were promises that he was going to come, goes to the cross, lives a perfect life, dies in our place to break us free from the power of sin, restore our relationship with God, so that then we don't experience eternal separation from God, but we get to live with God for all of eternity. On the surface, when he's given the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from our sins, a lot of times we kind of are like, me, a sinner? Me needing to be saved? But it's actually the best news because our biggest problem that we can't solve on our own, Jesus came to solve it. God with us, to save us from sin. God with us to prove his love, and then God with us to save from sin. This is why Christmas is a massive celebration, and this is the part of Christmas that we need to remember. He came to prove his love, and he came to save from sin. So we're actually going to do something this morning to help us remember this. We're actually going to take communion together as a group this morning. This is one of the things that Jesus talks about. When Jesus was here, he talked about This act to remember his sacrifice, to remember that he loves us and to remember that he came for our sins. And so, as we do this this morning, we're doing this to remember why we celebrate at Christmas. Why all the gift giving, why all the travel, why the getting together with people? It's all rooted in the fact that God loves us and that he saved us from sin. And so, this is a massive celebration. So, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward. They're going to pass these baskets. In the basket, you've got this little cup. There's the juice and the bread already inside of that. If you're with us today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, you haven't asked him to forgive you of your sin, you haven't committed to follow him, just observe this. Don't take one of the cups. Just let it pass. It's no big deal. Nobody's going to judge you. This is an opportunity for you to just kind of get an inside view of one of the ways that we remember Jesus' sacrifice. But if you haven't accepted his forgiveness and committed to follow him, Just let this pass. This is only for those who have done that. If you're joining us online, push pause, go to the kitchen, get something to drink, get a cracker, some bread, and then come back and join us. What we're going to do while they pass these out, we're going to take just a moment. No no music or anything is going to play, and um, I, I encourage you to reflect. Prepare your heart before we take communion together. Reflect on God's love. Reflect on the fact that he came to save us from sin. And then when all these get passed out, I'll lead us in communion. So we'll take just a minute to reflect. All right, so go ahead and peel off the first layer. We're going to do the bread. So what we're saying when we take this bread, Jesus Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. He gave his body. his, His body was broken for us. So when we take this bread, what we're saying is, Jesus, your body given for me is the only hope I have for forgiveness. I admit my sin, and I thank you for giving your life for me. Jesus, I accept the payment of your sin. Let's take the bread together. And go ahead and peel back the next layer for the juice. So this is what we are saying by drinking the juice. We're saying, Jesus, I accept your offer to live life for you, you're the only one worthy to follow. Jesus, I will follow you. Let's drink this together. So now we're actually, we're going we're gonna to sing two songs. The first song is a Christmas song. And like the best Christmas songs, it reminds us why we celebrate. So there's a lyric in the song that I want to read. The lyric is this. says, The Son of God here born to bleed, a crown of thorns would pierce his brow, and we beheld this offering, exalted now the King of kings. Praise God for the hallowed manger ground. The Son of God here born to bleed. Jesus had a physical body just like you and me, a body that bled and was broken for us. Crown of thorns would pierce his brow, and we beheld this offering. This is why he came. He came to give his life, to go to the cross and pay for our sin, to save us from sin. Exalted now, the King of Kings. He rules, he reigns. He's the only one that we can follow. He's the only one who's good enough or smart enough to break us free from the power of sin. And he's the only one that we can follow. Praise God for the hallowed manger ground. We celebrate Christmas because God is with us. We celebrate Christmas because he proved his love and he saves us from sin. Let's stand I'm going to sing this song and then another one together. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.